So we're holding on the Paragud base, Pasukhes. We're going to learn about three Shaiftim, all of whom the Nach has very little to say about them. It doesn't tell us why they became Shaiftim, it doesn't tell us in what way they were instrumental in helping Ka Yisrael, it just tells us their names, how they lived, and that they died. So we have to see a little bit about the background to these three Shaiftim. So first let's read the Psukim. Which described them in the Beis Hashem will pull in from Chazal uh, what's not told us, what's not taught to us in the Pesukim. So the Tanya Pasuk says, so the Pasuk says, Vayishpet Acharav after Yitzchak died, the next Shaifet, Vayishpet Acharav is Yisrael, the one who was the next Shaifet by Yisrael, was Ivtzon Yibayt Lachem. Beis Lachem was part of Nachmas Yehuda, and therefore Ivtzon was from Shevet Yehuda. And we know who Ivtzon was. The Gemara tells us Ivtzon was Boyas. So, yes, the one who was, uh, so to speak, the great-grandfather of David Amalek, and he was the shepherd, is why his name was changed from Boaz to Ibtzan. As Hashem will see, it, more than one explanation given in the Foshim for that. But we don't know much about Boaz's Boaz's or Ibtzan's communal role. We know the story of, of Boaz in context of the fact that he first would look after Rus as a Gerus and after married her. And uh, as, as such, so to speak, became the great-grandfather of David Amela. But even in the Megillah, it doesn't tell us much about the role Boaz played as a leader, as a chef of Klaisho. Someone here just tells us nothing about his communal responsibility. All it tells us about him is he had 30 sons and 30 daughters who he married off. And he brought 30 daughters, daughters-in-law, into his house to marry his sons. So Boaz had a very big family. We're talking about 60 children. And he managed to marry them all off in his lifetime, which uh, the Mavoshim point out here is a specific prophet. The person married, manages to live to see all his children married, especially if we're talking about such a large number. And his tenure as a shepherd wasn't that long. It was only for seven years, which means you understand that Boaz became a shepherd at the, towards the end of his life. He was uh, must have been at a very advanced age already when he became a shepherd, and the period of his leadership was only for seven years, which if we look in the Megillah, we understand that, because it gives us the generations in the Megillah between Nashan ben Aminadov, who was the shepherd of, of the leader of Yehuda during the desert years, and they went out of Mitzrayim. And then we have Ram, and we have Salma, and then we have Bayas, which means three generations to span 300 years. So either they must have all had children at a very old age, or Bayas is extremely old at this, this stage in the Nah. And if that's the case, so then it's true that he was a shepherd for seven years. That was the last seven years of his life. And the question which is obviously asked is if we look at the story of the Megiddo, we don't find anything about these 60 children, about all the sons and the daughters. All we know about and all the Megiddo talks to us about is Rus, and the one son that he had with Rus, whose name was Ovid. It says he married all he had was Ovid, who, according to the Chazal, but Boaz died the next day. So he didn't know he did not marry him off, he never even saw him. Right. So we're talking there about a different wife or different wives okay. and different children, which don't feature in the Megillah at all. The Megillah is talking about at a different stage altogether. In fact, Chazal say that we first meet Boaz when it says Boaz came from Beis Lechem to the Kotri. 
No, Boaz lived in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a town. He had his fields in the outskirts of Bethlehem, so he went from the town to his fields to see what the, his, the, reap, the reapers were doing. But Chazal say, a very interesting addition to the to the story which the Nach tells us, and it says, why was Boaz coming from Bethlehem? So Chazal say that that was the day that his wife died, and he was coming back from selling Shiva properly. Which means that the first, when he meets Rus, is the day after he gets him with Sering Shiva from his wife, of however many years it was, which is you see Hashem orchestrating events that he'd be able to marry her um, thereafter. Um, also, another thing which we see if that's the case, is the tremendous age difference that there must have been between Rus and Boaz. Which he says himself in the Nath, we just don't realize how extreme it is. He says, That you came to remind me that I'm going to marry you as a relative of Mahlon. The Vilti. Instead of going on to the young men who are your age. In other words, Rus, we know that she got married, they waited 10 years in Eretz Moab. So she got married, which was the norm at the time of 12 or thereabouts. Rus at the time must have been 22, 23 maybe, when she met Boaz. And Boaz must have been over 100. And therefore, it was like a, a very large age gap between them. And it was easy, it was fine. Uh, Boaz dies. Very shortly after marrying Rus, if not the next night, uh, Rus still lives till the time of Shleimah Hamelech, which means she's still alive in the time of Shleimah Hamelech. The pasuk says that Shleimah made a, a, a kisse for the Imoy and for Bacheva. So who is the aim is talking about? Azaz and the pasuk in Merachim, and it's talking about Rus she Imosh Malchus, which means Rus lived to live to see her son Ovid, her grandson Yishai, her great grandson David, and her great great grandson Shleimah. Which so she must have lived a long life too, but she was much much younger than Boaz. So when she 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 outlived him by many many years. Okay, so that's the story of Ibtan, and like we said, that's what all the Nach tells us. There are two very fascinating Chazals about him, which we'll see shortly. Bad Hashem. The first one to learn about the other two Shoftim, which again the Navi tells us about, but doesn't tell us very much about them. So the second one is Vayish with Acharav, and Sisrael Einan as Baloni. After Boaz, the next shepherd was from Zvulun, his name was Adal. He was a shepherd for 10 years. Again, the Navi doesn't say how he became a shepherd or what he did to help Israel. All it says, Vayam was Adal Hasvuloni, but he covered by Yalan Bered Zvulun. He died and was buried in his homeland of Zvulun. And the third one, Vayishbet Akhra Vesisrael Abdul Minhidl Hapirasani. Doesn't tell us which shepherd he was from here, but we'll play that around, he's from Ephraim. And what it tells us about Hillel, or Abdul Minhidl, is also doesn't tell us about what he did, but what it tells us is also about his family. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons in his lifetime. There were 70 of them, 40 sons and 30 grandsons. They would ride on 70, and Yarim was a kind of a donkey, but it was a sign at the time of leadership. It was considered a son of Hashivas. So he was, a, in other words, he's a very influential person, and all his sons were promoted to whatever leadership position it was. He was also a shaman for only eight years. The Yam is Abdul Hill of Pirasoni, where he covered before Rasain, buried in Ephraim, Haram Raki. Which we need to explain. Because Haram Ephraim is not Haram Raki. So why does it say he was buried in Haram Ephraim, which was Haram Raki? Haram Raki was where the Amaleki lived, which was far south of Eretz Yehuda. It wasn't in Haram Ephraim, which was the middle part of Eretz Yehuda. Um, now, so we'll talk about that also. So what's the story with these three shaktim? Uh, the Nach, which the Nach, Kimai tells us nothing about. So 
So I want you to run one pasuk because that's going to put into context the two opinions as to what was going on. And the first pasuk in Parag Gimel says, "Very simple." But then Yisrael says to Rabbi Nehoshen, "Yishukayach." The Klal Yisrael continued to do what was bad in the eyes of Hashem. Ayitim Hashem biyat plishtim arboim shan, and Hashem gave them into the hands of the plishtim for forty years. And now the question is, which of the forty years we talk about? And the reason why that's a question is because I'm just reminding everybody of the pasuk we had at the beginning of the story of Yiftach. And there also talks about the fact that Klai Yisrael disobeyed Hashem. And it says there that Hashem gave them into the hands of the Tishtim and the hands of Amun. And Amun uh, pressed them for 18 years. What about the Tishtim? So the Mechlech is 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 the Mechlech that the 40 years that the Tishtim impressed them is a continuation from what happened before Yiftach. In other words, there was 18 years um, before Yiftach where they were pressed by Amun on the east bank of the Jordan, the Tishtim on the west bank. And then according to this, after 18 years, Yiftach was successful in defeating Amun. So, so to speak, it released the Jews from bondage on the, on the east side of the Jordan. He never touched the Tishtim. The Tishtim was still there. And therefore we have another 22 years that the Tishtim was still oppressing Klai Yisrael on the other side. Now, if you work it out, so we have um, the, the amount of time we have, we have seven years, uh, well, it's after we have six years of Yiftach, and then we have seven years of Boyaz, Yiftan, which is 13, 10 years of Hillel, which is 23, and then the last eight years of Avdon, which would bring us to 31. So, if that, if so, it would be during the, this period that the overlapping the time that the Pishtim were pressing them. That's the one Mahalach in the Fashim. The other Mahalach in the Fashim is that this was talking about now, of the Pishtim oppressing them, only began after the Yisri Shaftim. This was a new, a new phase, so to speak, a new period in the Klai Yisrael. And as we go to the next Shaftim, Shimshan, really this overlapped the time of Shimshan. So that was still part of the time where they were oppressed by the Pishtim. Now what, what it makes a big difference to us is what was the situation of Klai Yisrael in the time of the three shaykhs we mentioned before, Ibtan, Eidan, and Hila, were Klaishal then at peace and Klaishal was successful, or were Klaishal being subjugated? And the reason is, is because both in the case of, of Ibtan and in the case of Avdan, it shows, us, it shows them as being very successful. The amount of children that they had, and all the children were successful, or they all got married, whatever the case is. So was that unique to the shaykhs of the time? Was that the situation that Kaisal was in collectively? And this, like I said, there's two ways of learning the Pesukim. The Pesukim doesn't tell us very much. It does learn that uh, it, was a, it was a gap, so to speak, period between different punishments. And if that's the case, the Shoftim, these three Shoftim, they're not, they're not introduced to us as being people who came to save Kaisal, because during that scope, Kaisal didn't need to be saved. It was a period when Kaisal weren't being oppressed, and therefore the leader was just the leader because of his... Uh, ability to lead, or because of his spiritual standing, and it wasn't because, like most of the Shaitim, that they came to rescue Klai Yisrael first. Which is why, in all these three cases, we don't, we aren't told about anything they did to save us. That was that's the one way to learn, um, to learn Sukkim, which means it was time successful Klai Yisrael. Now, not such success, because even though they might have been free from the, so to speak, overlordship of their enemies, we know from a Guinness Rose it was a time of famine. And therefore, it wasn't at the time that these Shaitim lived in, definitely not by us, 
was all the time of plenty. There was also a time of famine, which was enough that uh, drove any man to leave Eretz Yisrael for the Eretz Moab for ten years. And therefore, there would be there was it wasn't necessarily even if they weren't fighting enemies, it wasn't necessarily a time when Klai Yisrael were being given so much profit. But nevertheless, we found these three shows. It was ten years, and then it was part of Yiftach's term also. Coming. Right, because Boaz died. Right, Boaz at the end of it. And Boaz died in the for seven years. So the, the Tukufa, which the ten-year famine started from, must have been before Boaz. Right, which means that the time of Boaz's leadership wasn't exactly a good time for Klai Yisrael. Uh, and if that's the case, then it shows that even in a time of difficulty, nevertheless, these, these leaders who were Tzadikim were given such special bracha from Hashem. To answer another question also. And that is it's just a matter of working at the dates. Because of the Megillus Rus starts off, by he be And on that Chazal say in a bit of a derogatory way, there was a generation which judged his judges. Which means they didn't hold very highly of their leaders. they were So Boaz was a tzaddik. And if that's the case, why would that be a time when people were judging the leaders? But if you work out the, the dates, that was ten years before Boaz died, which means that was a time of Iftah. And there were definitely war complaints against Iftah, like we saw. And therefore, when the people were, so to speak, judging their judges, judging the leaders as being inadequate, as doing things wrong, was a time of Yiftach, which we saw in the previous year, and the things that he did do wrong. We don't find any complaints leveled against Boaz, so he did wrong. But the story of Bruce starts before Boaz. The story of Bruce starts still in the time of Yiftach. Okay, so that's the, the first story. The story of, of what was the background in Klai Yisrael, during this period. The other shit is that this was part of the time when the Pishtim were oppressing them. But if that's the case, so even though these, these three leaders lived through the period of Pishtim oppression, the man said they never saved Kaisha from the Pishtim. And the reason is, like we saw previously, that Kaisha Baruch was angry with the Jewish people. If, if they had not a problem with Chivas, we saw in the previous period by Yiftah, but uh, Hashem, wants, Hashem said, go to the gods who you're serving, let them save you. And therefore, there was, a, it was still um, under the shadow of under the shadow of the Plishtim, who were, according to these Mufarshim, who were still ruling Eretz Yisrael, even while these three Shoftim were alive. Now, that's as far as the Novi tells us. Let's, now, let's go back to what Chazal adds to the story of Baez. And even like Mufarshim, who bring this Chazal, said it's not the Meshmos of the Psukim, but it's a Chazal. So we'll listen to what Chazal says, the Meshmos of the Psukim is telling us how successful Baez was. And he had such a big family of 60 children, he managed to marry them all, all in his lifetime. So we, 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 we would read the Pesukim simply as being shown the success of the Shofet who was, who was a Tariq and was listening to Hashem. But there's a Chazal. And the Chazal says like this. The Chazal says that Boyaz made 60 weddings for 30 sons and 30 daughters. 60 weddings. Weddings. For 30 sons and 30 daughters. And there was a contemporary of Boyaz who was name was Manoach. Manoach, like you're going to see, was the father of Shemeshach. Uh, Manoach lives between Sar and Eshtal, which today is near Beit Shemesh. It's not that far from Beit Lechem. And Kenira uh, Manoach was a prominent individual, and somebody who would, could have been expected to be invited to Boaz's uh, Simchas. Um, and the Gemara says that in all the weddings that in all the Simchas Boaz made, he never once invited Manoach. And the reason for that was Manoach had no children. He had from Panina. Later. He had later he had his son, Shimshon, 
But uh, at the be- that was Dino's mentioned. Okay, yeah, so his name, her name is Slokhanis, but uh, uh-huh. we had to see. Dino was Alkana. Okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. had no children, and that's why Boaz never invited him to any of these smokers. And as a result of that, he was punished. And uh, just very similar to the story of Pnina and Khan, that Pnina, um, so to speak, taunted Khan, made her feel bad that, that she, Pnina, had children, whereas Khan didn't. So that when Hashem did give Khan a child, so that he took away two of Pnina's children. And that's why we see that uh, for every child that Khan was given, Pnina lost two. And Khazal said a very similar thing here, and that is therefore when Hashem does decide eventually to give Pnina a child, which is Shimshan, so all of Boaz's 60 children die. Now, that's a tremendous punishment, but we're talking about a tzaddik. And if that's the case, why, why would there be a reason for him not to invite Menoyah to celebrate in the chasnas just because he didn't have children? Or what did he have against Menoyah? I would have thought he didn't want him to feel bad. Oh, so Mephoshim said that Boaz had the best intention in the world, and that is he didn't want Menoyah to feel bad. You see, he thought if Menoyah invites him again and again to another simchan, another simchan, another simchan, and he feels each time it's like rubbing in the fact that he doesn't have his own children, it's just going to cause him pain. And if that's the case, Boaz, with the best intentions, thought, I don't want to hurt him, and therefore I'm not going to invite him, so he won't suffer for it. But, um, as the Chaim Shmuelavitz always used to say, that uh, when it comes to causing another person suffering, so his notion was that the, the suffering of another person is like a fire. And therefore, one doesn't know what if, what's going to cause someone else to suffer, but if they do cause someone else to suffer, they're going to get punished for it. And therefore, it seems that Adrava, the fact that Manoach knew about the chasnas, and nevertheless, he wasn't invited, made him feel worse the other way around. And that is, it's not like a, a, he, a, he was something which was a secret. Boaz was the leader. Everybody knew about the chasnas he was making. And Manoach thought, like, he's specifically shunning me, he's not inviting me because he wants to kill, make me feel that I don't deserve to be there, I don't have children of my own. So it had a reverse effect of what Boaz wanted. And therefore, even though his intention wasn't to hurt Manoach, but since the Matthias was Menach got hurt, so like, uh, like I said, the Yisrael of Chaim said before, and that is that when it comes to hurting another person, it's, a, it's a something which is punishable, even if there wasn't an intention to hurt him. And Chaim had a very famous riot. A story of one of the Marayim, I think his name is Rechonir Barachama. It's a scary story, it's the Gemara Ksodis. And the Gemara says the story, tells the story, that he used to spend his entire year learning in Yeshiva, in the best measures, and he used to come home once a year. And that was an Arab from Kippur. And the Gemara said his wife used to wait the whole year for him to come and marry him again. And one year he was in the middle of a sogi and he didn't realize that the time was getting later. And uh, as a result, when he realized it was too late, it was too close to Kippur for him to make the journey home. And his wife was sitting and waiting and waiting. And like, this is the one day a year husband comes home and waiting and just prepared a cinema seconds for him. And where is he? And she sees that again and she's not there. And obviously she's very, she's very disappointed, she's very sad, he didn't come. And the Gemara says the tear fell from her eyes. And at that second, Rukhanir Barakhamu died. And like Rav Chaim Shreds always used to say, if you'd have asked Mrs. Khama, is that what you want, that your husband should die? Of course it's not what she wanted. On the contrary, she was very sad he wasn't there. She definitely didn't want him to die. But uh, it says, when it comes to a normal Khaveira, when another person gets hurt, it's great, then it's, it's, a, it's something which is going to cause a punishment. Whether the other person intended that to happen or not. And that's the same thing over here. If, if, even if Boaz wasn't trying to hurt Menach, it wasn't as bad as the case of Penina, who the Pasuk says she was trying to antagonize Hanul, to, you know, to, so to speak, bring it to, to cry. But here, the death wasn't Boaz's intention, 
if the result was that when he caused was that Menach got hurt, so then he got punished for it. And then again, it wasn't necessarily because Menach wanted him to get punished. Menach was also a tzaddik. It wasn't like he was trying to take revenge on Boaz. But that's the Matthias. If someone gets hurt, it's, it's, uh, it's something which doesn't get overlooked in the scales of Shemai. Which so, Shemshim born? will depend on the two Shemshim as said before. In other words, how we count the 40 years. Because if we're going to say that the 40 years were before Shemshim, then that's the case, Shemshim was only born later. Then it wouldn't be a punishment to buy us if his children were not terrible. Yeah, it's still a punishment. Uh, all his, all, I didn't know that. Uh, again, maybe he didn't set shit for them here in this world. Most of the fact that he lost all his descendants was a punishment. But according to Adi Shetah, which is the 40 years that comes from afterwards, then it could be Shemshim was born in Boaz's lifetime. I guess that's a story which Chazal tell us about it. Now, why was his, why was his name changed from Boaz, which is the name is given? In, in the Nach, in Rus, to Ibtan. What's the, what's the meaning of the name Ibtan? So, the Mephoshim point out, the Moshe David Vali, his comment of the Rukha, he points out like this, he says that Chazal credits Swayas on a very strong, a very high level, of self-control. That's when in the night when Rus comes down to, to the bones of the granary and uh, he finds it in the middle of the night. So the, the Pasuk says that Boaz managed to overcome his Yetzirah, even though he was in Yechud with her or whatever, and she was mutter to him. And the, in the Gemara says in Hedrin, in a way it was a stronger Nisoyan than Yosef had when it was just pretty fair. And if that's the case, so he says the Lashon Irtan is the Lashon um, an Av, somebody who is, a, who is a, a father, a leader, in being able to be with Sanin, which means to cool down his Yetzirah. Someone is able to control himself to a very high degree, that's where he got the title Yetzirah. Who says this? Vali. Ramosh David Vali. Ramosh David Vali. And now just the last point, is we don't know anything about Aydan Hasbaloni, Nachan and Mokosh don't tell us anything about him, but they do talk about Avdoin Ben Hila. We asked a question about him. He said he was buried in Har Ephraim in the Haramaleki. Haramaleki is not in Har Ephraim. It's a different place. So if he was buried in Har Ephraim, why does it bring in the Haramaleki? So the again, Ramosh David Vali also in his Mithirish. This is the second point here. And he says his name was Abdon, which is Lashon of Eved. And he said he is a source of being a big tzaddik. I thought he was became a shepherd and Eved Hashem. And that's why he was zayichet to. Um, 70, 70 sons or grandsons together. In other words, a whole Sanhedrin of his own children. And obviously, there couldn't be a Sanhedrin because he kind of said it, but they were all worthy of being a Sanhedrin just of his own children. And he said, and this is something which is on a more spiritual level, he said that of what he did in his lifetime is he destroyed the spiritual influence of Amalek. Um, and therefore, even though he didn't fight Amalek, it wasn't something practical to do until there was a king, but if it was a shadow of and destroying this physical effect that Amalek had on the Jewish people, that was what Abdul managed to do. And it's just something even more fascinating. And that is, we know he's from Har Ephraim. What's his name really? Moshe David Vali. Yeah. And he says, uh, something more fascinating, we know he's from Har Ephraim. He says that he was a descendant of Yeshua ben Nun. Yeshua was also from Shevet Ephraim. He said, Yeshua began the job of Ayachal as Yeshua, Samarek, Mesamuel, Epicharev. Yeshua was the first one to weaken Amalek. And Abdul's job spiritually was to continue that. 
and therefore it's, it, it connects with the Haramaleki because he, he never actually physically fought the Malek, but there was a spiritual, so to speak, Koyach, uh, which, which a Malek had, which had to be undone, which he was responsible for. And this is what the Gemara says, that the, the Malek only falls to the hands of Yosef. And that's what Moshe needed to appoint Yosef to be part of Malek because Yosef was for Yosef. Somebody with Dovra Malek goes to fight. Uh, Amalek later on says he took whatever family of Whitman was from Bnei Yosef and he also Abdin Ben Hill was from Bnei Ephraim Bnei Yosef and therefore he was also the opponent who was able to to take on Amalek even though he wasn't in battles in a, physical, in a spiritual sense but never that Thomas was achieved okay and that's what we know about this we'll next time we'll start the story the very detailed story of Shemshah yeah.